0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, Wookies and Stormtroopers, welcome to my weekly show, I'm Father Roderick, and I've got a good show for you in store. we got to talk about Muppets, about Star Trek, about Star Wars, Hunger Games, Holy Water and Squirt Guns, and so much more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. As always, this episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons. And we finally have been able to to uh, configure Patreon, which is the website that I use for this community of supporters, in such a way that I get notified when we have new patrons. Well, it turns out that that functionality was off since the beginning of this year, I think. So all of a sudden, it gave me a, a, a list of... Relatively recent patrons, and as always, I want to mention them by name. This is going to be a long list, and I may have mentioned some of those patrons uh, before, but I just want to give you an idea who is behind the show because it's not just me behind the microphone. I wouldn't be able to do this work if it weren't for those monthly supporters. So here's a huge thank you to Green Mountains H79, Roberto, Jim, Craig, Matthew, Miguel. Martinez, Jessica, Mark, Martha and Darwin, Herman, Oliver, Laura, Nick, Jeremy, the gaming politician, Bob, Nadine, Sean, Teresa, Lee, Jennifer, Harry, Suzanne, Lisa, and Margarita. All of you, huge thank you. This is not the entire list. The community is much bigger than that. And there are are a number of people that just very recently signed up as patrons. Uh, I think it was during the weekend, probably, because they saw me um, celebrating the Mass for Geeks. So I want to welcome them too. I will mention your name next week when... uh, Patreon gives me this, this new list. If you want to join them and get, a, get access to a second podcast, which I will mention at the end of the show as well, I will give you the contents of that show. It's very much like this show, so if you enjoy this, it's going to sound like this, it's going to feel like this, but it's got a totally different lineup of topics. So um, you get access to that if you become a patron. Go over to patreon.com for more as uh, well slash father roderick you need to add that for more information you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world face it catholics rule we got boston south america the good part of ireland and we're making serious inroads in mozambique baby you've taken your first step into a larger world well, we're currently in a race against time here in my parishes, and that is because the Dutch bishops have finally issued uh, a very strict protocol for the reopening of our churches. For ten weeks now, we've been—I've uh, been celebrating Mass behind closed doors, and since I was also uh, the person in charge of streaming the masses for the two parishes that I work for, um, I had a little bit of help during mass of a few people, but let's say the maximum people in in church was six, uh, all involved in making sure that it looks well on, on, on our screens. However, that's going to change. Our society here in the Netherlands seems to have COVID-19 uh, under control, more or less. It doesn't mean that the virus is gone, uh, far from that, and we still have to be very, very careful, but there is uh, ample... Uh, Ample proof that that uh, we can we can open up the society without uh, all of a sudden causing uh, you know new new uh, uh, cases or well new cases there will be, there will be new cases of, of uh, people getting infected uh, for maybe for months to come hopefully not years um, but the risks are so low that that we can now you know start to gather again if, of course, we, ha- we respect the general rules of hygiene and social distancing. So uh, churches will also reopen um, starting on June the 1st. So that's going to be the day after Pentecost. Unfortunately, Pentecost itself is n- is still going to be celebrated behind closed doors and streamed via webcam. Um, but in uh, we can only start with 30 people per church maximum. 30 people, that's not much. Um, and then hopefully, if everything goes well, and of course that depends on the entire society, uh, starting f- the July 1st we'll, we'll be able to welcome about 100 people. That is, if you can place them at a distance of 1.5 meters per person. So, uh, for some churches, we won't be able to fill it to capacity. Uh, and we'll just have to wait and see what that means. And of course, we have to wait and see if things continue to go to go well if if there are sud- if there is a sudden uh, rise in, in in corona cases then of course uh, everything may change again but the thing is, the bishops have issued very, very strict rules um, and and prescriptions on how to celebrate mass and how, where where people should sit, how communion is arranged. Um, it, it is much more complicated than what we do right now. The, the The streaming, the masses that we stream, are already pretty complicated, and we have taken into account all the, the precautions for you know you don't want to infect the few people that help me to stream these masses, but. Uh, it's a different ball game when it, when you have 30 people and and you know mass is public there's a whole organization you have to reserve your seat you have to do intake conversations communion itself very complicated. So anyway, it's it's a race against time because June the 1st is just around the corner. Um it's actually this upcoming Monday and I am not sure if we will be ready to open the church but we're going to do whatever we can and well we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, and and make the make the most out of it. I will continue to stream my English masses for uh, the foreseeable future, uh, because of course that has a worldwide audience and uh, seems to be quite seems to be helping quite a few people. So, well, I'm do I'm celebrating those masses on Sunday evening so they don't clash with my other duties in the parish. So, uh, thankfully, I'll be able to uh, to stream that. I'll be giving an update on the cameras that I use for for streaming mass. In the tech segment of the episode, but first, it is time to visit the segment or the visit the movies, or in my case, visit my TV, where I watch movies via Netflix because I haven't been in a movie theater since the beginning of this year. I think I uh, right before Corona started, I um, I stopped my uh, subscription to my local theater. And in hindsight, that was actually a very smart decision because nobody was able to go to theaters for uh, for months, actually. So I saved myself some money there. How <laughs> do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. There was some news on Disney Plus about an upcoming series that I did not expect would ever happen again. Um, I'm talking about Muppets Now. It is a new uh, television series that is going to premiere on July the 31st. And it will show us the Muppets, according to the description, the very short description of that show, unscripted. So I don't know if that means that it is an improvised show, um, whether this is going to be like a faux behind-the-scenes type of of show, but I don't care. It's the Muppets. They're back. They're going to be back on TV, and I couldn't be more excited. I grew up with the Muppets. Um I loved watching The Muppet Show. I, I think I've seen every single episode <laughs> multiple times. I even recorded the sound of the sh- of some of the shows. This was way before uh everyone had uh, video recorders. I recorded the audio on my cassette player. Um and then I would play that audio back and 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 kind of play play back the episode in my mind. I remember having a tape and I wonder if it's still there somewhere if it's still around somewhere. Maybe my mom has kept it in the attic. I recorded the audio for the episode, the famous episode with Luke Skywalker, with uh, that was an entirely Star Wars themed episode of the Muppets and it was glorious and it featured both Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker I think they used like a split screen or something like that to have both the actor and the character that the actor plays in the show uh, it featured I think Muppets in space with uh, with Luke Skywalker it was so fantastic and so funny Um and I will always remember that that particular episode fondly. But there were so many classic moments in there. And you kind of miss those characters. Of course, there is Muppets on YouTube and Muppets on social media. But it's all very short fragments and, and, and it's almost a shadow of what the, that show once was. I never understood why they didn't re- resurrect it Uh and even this it's it's not the real muppet show this is something new maybe it is because they've tested it with audiences and the the old format didn't work anymore but you know what i would really really pay for for the classic format of the muppet show to come back it was so fantastic and they did such a great job um with those you know with with the concept it was just like watching a theater show um and there would be songs, and you would have all these famous people. I don't know. It was like a, like a late-night show with, with puppets and with a ton of humor and a ton of heart. But anyway, this is second-best Disney+, Plus Muppets Now, July the 31st. I can't wait to see more. Uh, no trailers yet. Then I have to kind of retract um, a review that I gave a number of weeks ago of a series that I tried out on Netflix, and I just didn't get it, so I stopped watching it, and I, uh, I was pretty negative about it, I think, in this show. I recently talked to my friend um, Sebastian, and he was the one who recommended that show to me, and he and uh, he was a little bit behind on the podcast, and so he's like, well, the other day I was listening to one of your old shows, and and then you talk about you mention my name, and you say, well, hey, Sebastian uh, recommended a television series, so I'm like, oh my gosh, I I mentioned on the podcast, and then you go on and you completely destroy the TV show that I recommended to you. Thanks, but no thanks. It <laughs> uh, turns out I had to. Revisit that show, and I totally have to to change my uh, my uh, verdict on that show. I'm talking about the television show Ozark. Ozark tells the story of a family uh, whose father, or the father of the of the family, uh, makes his money by laundering uh, other people's money. Of course, that is bound to go wrong, and so at one point, uh, turns out that his partner in crime it was uh, was was. Taking a cut from the money that he laundered, Uh, the mafia, whatever criminal organization that was giving the orders to launder the money, discovered that. And then um, uh, he's the only one, the father is the only one who survives the retribution. And he gets tasked to move with his family to Ozark, which is a real lake. Actually, it was just recently in the news um, when um, I think it was during Memorial Day or something like that, that the beaches of Ozark opened and it was super crowded. So I, I heard it on the news. I was like, "Oh, that's Ozark from Netflix." And so he he moves there with his family, and then of course a very rural environment. He used to live in Chicago, where it was anyway big city he had his his methods to launder money and now he has to relearn that again in a rural environment where it's much harder than he thought it would be but of course if he doesn't succeed then his family is going to pay the price and they're all going to die um so the first time i saw that episode uh, the first episode i just didn't understand what the whole show was about maybe i was also tired i just didn't didn't follow it um didn't didn't really appeal to me I rewatched the first episode because Sebastian insisted that it was really good. So, I gave it another chance, rewatched it, and I don't know why I didn't like it the first time. I I love it. It's a great show. It's it has a bit of um uh Breaking Bad type of vibe to it. It is not as funny as Breaking Bad. It's more serious. Um it is a bit violent. Uh so a bit. Sometimes it's pretty violent. Um but but it's gripping the, the story is gripping and you know i can't wait to see what will happen to them and of course whether he will succeed it's just one of those series where you you're you're made to root for the bad guy <laughs> anyway it's a very dysfunctional family also which makes you know creates a lot of interesting story narratives or character arcs um and then i saw another series that popped up on the main screen of netflix the other day and I was immediately intrigued because I thought I was, I was watching a trailer for a movie. The movie is called Snowpiercer. Uh, it was based on, an I think, on a cartoon or an anime. And the movie itself won an Oscar a couple of years ago. I remember hearing about that. And um, I think it was a Korean movie. I never saw it. It was a science fiction movie. It's based on a society where um, the, the, it's like a, this post-apocalyptic type of situation. Um, the Earth is heating up because of our actions, and then the scientists are trying to, to, to cool it down by modifying the atmosphere. That experiment goes wrong, and temperatures drop all over the planet. New ice age. Outside, it's a, like a minus 190. If, if you stay outside for five seconds, you die. You freeze to death. So the only um, escape is uh, a huge train that is built by a very rich dude and it, it's like a modern day ark. So he gathers the, the rich and the wealthy um, on that train and for some reason which will probably be explained later on that train has to just keep keep on going. It's like um, Speed <laughs> with Tender Bullock but then with a the train. So the train can't stop for some reason. It's a huge train and right before they start a lot of the poor people uh, that have gotten wind of, of the fact that there is this train have entered the train, forced themselves in the back back of the train, the tail of the train, and are being subdued by the rich people. And they try to take over the train. There's a lot of kind of uh, class inequality. So, of course, it is a typical science fiction um, uh, tale about, you know, that tries to mirror uh, stuff that's happening in in the real world, uh, with the wealthy, the happy few, um, suppressing the the poorer people. Um, in, in in the first episode of this series, so this turned out to be not the movie, but a television series based on the same premise. Which kind of surprising because the movie is not that old. But anyway, we live in the age of remakes. In the first episode, uh, it's also shown that the poor. Uh, are quite religious and so there's this woman who is praying the rosary and she's asking god to help them in their insurrection against the rich Uh, it's interesting to see just you know non-judgmental religious expression in that first episode let me play you the trailer it gives you a little bit more of the vibe of that series uh this of course i play the trailer i play play the sound of the trailer attention all passengers Wilford Industries wishes you good morning. Mr. Wilford would like to address the rumors of disturbances in the tale. Let me assure you, your security is our highest priority. Order will be restored. Seven years ago, the world ended. Now the train is all that's left. First. The weather changed. In the final days of the freeze. The rich retreated to an arc. It looks very good, I have to say. Special effects are very good. This is Snowpiercer. This is how we survive. So the train is called Snowpiercer. There are those who have and those who suffer. What do you see when you look at this train? I'll see a fortress to class. I see 3,000 souls surviving on a planet determined to freeze all life. Today, we take this train. We march to the engine. It's kind of an Independence Day speech here. <laughs> The trailer looks super exciting. Now, as all trailers do, it shows you the the most exciting visual. Parts of the of the series, plus it gives you a little bit of the background of what the what this show is about. Um, the The actual series is much slower paced. Um, that first episode, um, there's a lot. It's, it's all happening in very confined, closed quarters. Um, of course, being on a train, that's obvious. And uh, it starts kind of with a with a murder mystery. Um, someone has been killed. One of the rich people has been killed, and then a guy who lives in the tail of the train, who used to be before the the, the, the this new ice age, used to be uh, a homicide detective, is is being brought to the rich part of the train to help solve the the murder. Um, and, and so it's it's not at all what you expect you see this trailer and you think oh it's going to be so exciting and it's all going to be action and explosions and you know there are a lot of snow avalanches and stuff um none of that is in the first episode but it does create a nice um you know, kind of dark atmosphere. You feel like you're inside that train, and I always like these stories where you're like inside a spaceship and you have to find the exit. Uh, you're you're in this. Uh, well, you're you're in, on on the bus that you don't know how to stop it. And if it stops, it explodes. Um, I, I like these shows that take place in a relatively small environment. Now, this train is not that small. It's huge. I think it's like hundreds and hundreds of, of carriages. I don't know how it propels itself, where it gets the energy. Um, can't be, you know, well, it can't be, can't be running on coals or electricity because the rest of the world is, is frozen, um, completely. So maybe a lot of that, you know, a lot of the, 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 the intri- intricacies of, of the, of the concept of the train, won't be explained. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe that's just redundant because it's about the story of the people that are on the train. Or maybe they'll reveal it later on. It doesn't really matter to the story in the way it's told. Um, I hope that it will pick up the pace a little bit. But for now, it, what it reminds me most of, um, also in terms of uh, when it comes to the theme itself, is, is Hunger Games. Uh, or divergence, you know young adult novels like that, where it 's all about uh this this uh, society that is split in 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 classes, and uh the story is told from the perspective of the of the poor that are trying to to overcome their you know their captivity so it 's always like a good story is always about the underdog uh, that fights against uh, the established order so so that that 's pretty good um yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, so far, I'm liking it. It looks good. Um, it's, um, you know, it's not great acting, but it's it's serviceable. And uh, well, I'll I'll let you know when I've seen the entire series. And with that, it is time to move over to our second segment of the day, the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock. Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, and you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat, light bulbs? And today I want to talk about some memes that are doing the rounds on social media, about priests using squirt guns to bless people with holy water. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster videos. Yeah, so you may have seen the photos of uh, a priest standing near a baptisterial font font, I think that's how you call it. And then uh, parents are standing on the left side of the picture holding their baby with stretched arms and then the priest is aiming his uh, water squirting gun or what is it, super soaker <laughs> to the child and presses the tr- the trigger. Um and there are some other memes similar memes like that and even some photos of priests actually blessing I think it was blessing cars or something like that with a, a squirt gun and uh and there of course most of the time people take that in uh, uh with with uh uh just reposted it because it's funny it's funny to see it, it is, it's not at least it, when I saw those photos I didn't expected to be serious. However, it does turn out that in some cases those photos did depict uh, a blessing where priests were using these these squirt guns, sometimes you a know, brightly green or orange-colored. Um, and in other cases, the photos were staged. Well, as you can imagine... Um, there was quite a bit of discussion about this. Is this allowed? Is this a real... Is this a good idea? Let's talk about... Is this a good idea? I would say, no, it's not a good idea for some for multiple reasons. First of all, safety. Uh, one of the first rules that were communicated at the beginning of the corona crisis was don't use holy water. Get rid of all the holy water in church because it is... Uh, water is a very good transmission medium for for the virus. So... Don't use holy water. It's still prohibited in church. People can take holy water from if you have like a reservoir for holy water, then they are allowed to take it home for personal use. But then the tap, the actual you know dispenser, has to be cleaned after every uh, person. So, in in, pra- in in my situation, in my parishes, there is just no holy water for the time being. Um, The second reason why this is not a good idea has to do with the function of holy water. Holy water itself is not magical water. It's not, you know, chemically, it's not different from from regular water. It's water that has been blessed with a prayer. And the holy water itself is what we call in the Catholic Church a sacramental. So that sounds like sacrament, right? The sacraments are very important for Catholics, they are the means through which God tries to change us uh love us bring us into his communion um the sacraments have both a a a significance they they it's a sign it, it, you use certain certain material things like like water for instance for baptism or oils for the anointment of the sick or the uh, distribution of the sacrament of confirmation, but it's more than just a symbolic gesture. The sacraments in the Catholic tradition also do what they mean. So, for instance, water. What what is the meaning of washing someone with water? It 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 takes it gets rid of the dirt. Uh, water is a symbol uh, of uh, of life. There is no life without water. Water in the Bible is a very strong recurring uh, symbol of transition from death to life. Think of the uh, crossing of the Red Sea. Um, So the meaning is life. But the sacrament itself is not just symbolically expressing that life, but by the sacrament of baptism, a person really receives uh, the grace of eternal life. So it's also accomplishing something. And and so the, the, both the material aspect of the sacraments and its effect on the person that receives that sacrament are intrinsically linked. Now, with the sacramentals, it is different. Sacramentals also uh, have to do with material signs. Like, for instance, holy water. When people enter a church, let's say, if there were no, no corona crisis, people would enter a Catholic church, and in, in the back of the church, near the entrance, you will find these small containers with holy water. You put your hand in it, and you cross yourself with holy water. That in itself is not going to change you. The, whole, the holy water, as such, is is just regular water. Um, it's not like, for instance, the bread in the, Eucharist, in the sacrament of the Eucharist that, according to Catholic belief when once it is consecrated during mass it is no longer bread it has the outward aspects of bread but its core in a certain way is its its essence has has been changed from regular bread into the body and the real presence of christ himself the same is true for the wine so for catholics the bread and the wine it after consecration, are no longer bread and wine; they are the body and blood of Christ. They are the real presence of of Christ. Now, of course, we're talking about something that is essentially way beyond our our faculties. We cannot comprehend this, um, but uh, it is it is so. Our our way of talking about it is always uh, uh, insufficient but but there is a let's say an ontological transformation you could say of the of the of the matter that is used in that sacrament with holy water it's that's not the case the holy water after the blessing is still just water and is also considered to be just water however it is you could say dedicated water it is water that now has a purpose that is meant to to remind you of something, of open you for something. In the case of holy water, it's uh, it's very obvious. It, it refers to our baptism. So the reason that we cross ourselves with holy water when we enter church is to remind ourselves that we have been baptized and we're entering the house of the Lord whose life uh, uh, to whom our life belongs to. So it, it kind of makes sense. You enter God's house, you cross yourself to remind you that's my God. <laughs> That's my. I, I am part of His family. Um, and but the, the water itself does not change you. Does not. Uh, well, it d- does have an effect on you, but it does not depend on the intrinsic f- um, qualities of the water. But it is you being reminded through this water that has been dedicated to this purpose. Uh, you're reminded of of your baptism, and that itself, in itself, of course, can help you to open yourself to God's presence there, it helps you become more aware, and awareness of course means that you're more maybe more open to what God wants to tell you or wants to do with you so um the as you can imagine, because a sacramental is linked to the sacrament and is is pointing towards the sacrament, the sacramental itself it also requires a certain a certain dignified form. It's again, it's not magical water, so it does matter how that sign uh, is distributed and 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 how it is, uh, f- um, what the form is of of the way in which you use that sacramental. It has to be in line, kind of what it, with what it refers to. And in this case, it's, it's baptism, and it is the very first sacrament that we receive in in our in our journey with god and so that is maybe one of the most important moments of our lives it's the moment that we were baptized it's it's the beginning of our relationship with god and so that in itself is a very beautiful valuable thing and by using squirt guns to distribute holy water you kind of invalidate that the importance of what it refers to um I'm trying to find a, a good analog example. Uh, well, think of your, a relationship with someone you love dearly. With your mom, let's say Mother's Day. You love your mom. Your mom is super important to you. Well, if you bring her flowers, you're not going to bring her plastic flowers that you bought at the, you know, $1 store. What is that going to mean? You can say, well, it's just flowers, you know, whatever. It's a sign that ma- that, that counts. Um but no there it really matters the form matters and if you if you get real flowers and beautiful flowers that are fragrant and and nice to look at that is an expression it doesn't the flowers themselves don't are not containing your, the love and the respect that you have for your mom but they are definitely a sign of that of that reverence that you have or that respect that you have for your mom and it would be disrespectful to bring her plastic flowers or I don't know, just whatever. <laughs> you see what I mean? So, in in this uh, in this respect, I think that uh, using squirt guns, even though it may be, you know, uh, uh, maybe someone came up with that, just trying to be creative. You know, how can we safely bless people with holy water without uh, touching them? But it's still uh, the connotations of a squirt gun are not the kind of connotations that you want to be. Uh, linking to the very important sacrament of uh, of baptism, and there is an alternative for this, and uh, some of the commentators remind us of that. There is actually a liturgical tool that is totally able to 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 be used for in situations of social distancing, and it is the aspergillium that as the word aspergere, a Latin word which means to sprinkle. Um, it, it resembles a uh, like a, a a ball that is hollow on the inside. There are some holes in it, um, and it's put on the end of a stick. You dip it into the holy water, and then you sprinkle it. And because it has small tiny holes in it, that will distribute the water. Now. In corona times, I would still not recommend using that. But you can easily cover the same distance as a squirt gun. So why these priests have not used the espergillium, that should be part of you know any church inventory. Um, I think it's probably because they thought it would create nice memes. And that was definitely the explanation that the priest gave on that photo where he seems to be baptizing a child with a squirt gun. Um, that was just j- done because they thought it would be funny. It is completely staged. The parents actually asked the priest to pose for that. So there wasn't even water in the in the squirt gun. So, uh, And <laughs> you can imagine, since that thing went viral and got like a million views on Twitter, the poor priest must have gotten quite a bit of flack. Actually, it would probably also invalidate the baptism itself because baptism should be done by immersion or by by uh um uh what's the word in english you have to um i don't know what's the, what's the english verb let me look that up in google translate um it you have to sprinkle the water in a certain way um gieten uh, gieten Sometimes I get just my brain freezes. Come on. Why is Google Translate not working here? Gieten? How do you say that in English? Translate to pour. Duh. All right. For the baptism to be valid, water has to be poured on the head of the infant or, you know, could be an adult as well who is be baptized and that has to happen three times whether you pour that with your hand or with uh, you know uh, whatever but the water has to be poured over the head it's, that's how it is described and sometimes a, a wrong application of the water during baptism in any sacrament you know if you if you don't follow the rules then it could invalidate the sacrament Of course, it's very nuanced because there's also an aspect of, you know, the baptism of desire. If, uh, for instance, the parents would really desire their child to be baptized and the priest would use a squirt gun, even though that is not allowed and is illicit, and, you know, technically would invalidate the baptism, the fact that the parents would desire their child to be baptized, the child would still be baptized. So, you know, Catholic... um, theology is, or not theology, but the, the Catholic canon law is actually quite flexible when it comes to all these things what matters is God wants to reach these people if they are honest and if they long to, to meet Christ in the sacraments then God has a lot of different ways to reach us, but that's not the point here, it is, you know, should you use squirt guns to distribute holy water or baptize, I would say no, <laughs> there are alternatives to that When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? While I was uh, playing the jingle, Samuel in the chat says, Well, I disagree with you, Father. When I was in a monastery, the monks used a birch bundle to bless the congregation. Um, Well, that is all. It's not. um, I didn't say that. A birch bundle would actually be, I think, proper. That That is a dignified way of distributing holy water, and that is also common. The aspergillium is just something that you can store, and, and it works for years, whereas birch bundles decay. So that's not a problem. It's, it's still not a squirt gun, right? And if your mother is allergic to flowers, you might actually get her plastic flowers. Well, you know what? Sure. There is always an exception to the rule. That was not what I was trying to explain. It's like if you would buy plastic flowers because they're cheaper and you think, well, your mom is going to be happy with plastic flowers. Well, she should be happy with plastic flowers. I'm not going to buy these expensive real flowers. That's what I tried to say. That would be disrespectful. Always look at the context. Anyway, books. I've been starting to read a, um, a long-awaited prequel to the Hunger Games series. I'm, a, I'm a quite a fan of the Hunger Games uh, trilogy. And also of the movies, Um, Suzanne Collins is the writer, and uh, I think it was a couple of years ago that she announced that she was going to write a prequel, and then the prequel, also or the prequel series, got also um, bought. I think I'm not sure which company bought the rights, but it's going to be turned into movies. Why I'm not I'm I'm not surprised. What did surprise me was the premise of the books, and that is uh, the the. Books would be about the villain of the Hunger Games of the current trilogy, which is is Snow, not John Snow. (laughs) What's his first name? Snow. He's definitely his last name is is Snow. Hunger Games. He's this awful, awful president uh, of the districts, Uh, a tyrant who forces these these children to fight each other in an arena, and all that is to create spectacles so that people would be distracted enough not to insurrect against his rule. Um, his, his first name is Coriolanus. Coriolanus, what a name. But in I think in the movies he's called President Snow. This book takes place when President Snow, Coriolanus, is still um, a, a young adult, 18 years old, and... So this is the Hunger Games themselves are are already there. Uh, this has been an ongoing, like an age old tradition in that world, in that fictional world. However, the Hunger Games are not at all as developed as as sophisticated as in the time frame of the of the, the existing story or the existing movies. So if you can, if you've seen the Hunger Games uh, in the movies. Um, it is very, very sophisticated. It's very sci fi. Um, there are like wild animals that are uh, holograms, and there is like a huge amount of technology involved in, in, in trying to force these kids to kill each other, basically. It's a very gruesome premise. Um, and then the entire Hunger Games event, which takes place every few years, I think, is also filmed and streamed live to the entire kingdom or whatever it is. This this impi- entire reign of President Snow is watching these Hunger Games on TV. So the books themselves are, of course, also a little bit of a, uh, a translation of, of our hunger for reality shows. Or at least when these books were written, reality shows were all the rage. I think they're kind of... Less important now, I think, to people, because we've seen too many of them, but anyway, it was also this this this, this criticism of of our um, uh, our desire to to invade other people's lives and watch to watch them suffer and and there are some reality shows that thrive on that, even those so called talent shows are mostly about humiliating people and then applauding. Uh, a few of them, and and making them into superstars, but it's of course none of that is has anything to do with reality. It's it's this aggravated form of reality, and so the 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 Hunger Games story is definitely among other things. It's I think in, in its core, it's a political uh, um, uh, story that that warns us for the tyranny. Uh, of the rich, um, and it's uh, it's about the dignity of people. It's a, I in that respect, it's something that, especially in the last book, there is I think a like a post-scriptum or an interview with the with Suzanne Collins where she des- describes what the book is really about. And I remember listening to that and being like full of admiration for the this the kind of this is a young adult novel, so she wants to educate her readers. And I thought it was a very, very brilliant way of, of of showing the consequences of the way, the choices that we, the political choices that we make in our society. Um, and so uh, this new series of books tells the story about snow. Uh, um, the Hunger Games are not on TV at that time. Uh, they don't have all that technology. But the, the core idea is still young kids fighting other young kids as a means to basically distract people from from the true evil that is going on the true enemy which of course is the r- ruling class. And Snow is not a bad guy at the beginning he's just trying to uh he's he's actually um a coach or something like that uh of of one of the girls that has to compete in these hunger games. Um and he he is this coach to get the credits necessary to get a scholarship, something like that. And then, um, the story is about, uh, these birds. Now you, you know that the, the symbol on the books of the hunger games is this mockingjay. It's a, a bird that at first seems to be kind of a bit of a fantasy bird. Um, it, it's, it, it's, a, apparently a cross between a mockingbird and, uh, um, like a a, a a bird that is able to mimic sounds and to record conversations. So these are genetically modified birds and they were used by Snow, um, by the ruling class, to overhear conversations in the lower districts um, and then report back as spies to the people that live in the capital. However, uh, it turns out th- the... The people in the lower districts f- figured out that those those um, those birds were recording their conversation. so they they were feeding them false information, and so the the capital uh, decided to give up on these birds. And then they mo- they, they, they the, so these spy birds uh, uh, paired up with with mockingbirds, and that created a m- mockingjay. So a, a bird that is able to to repeat conversations, but also to sing songs. And, and so a, a lot of the, 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 the song, the insurrection song is the song of the mocking jay. So the, 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 bird becomes, turns from a spy into the symbol of the resistance. Um, and so the, the, there is also this, uh, hunt for these mocking jays, uh, in, in the book that, um, that Snow is tasked with. He has to find these birds and, I don't know, bring them back to the capital or something like that. I've only just started to read the book. It is just as easy to read it. uh, Suzanne uh, Collins has a very uh, accessible style. It's it's not, you know, high literature, but it is an easy read, and I like that. It's a good flow in the story. The only downside is this is not The Hunger Games. This is a prequel, and it suffers from um an aspect that many prequels suffer from you already know what's going to ha- happen y- you know that snow is going to end up being the evil president so um it takes away the tension um and th- the book is a bit unevenly paced there are some exciting moments in it but then there are also these very slow chapters where not much happens um a lot of exposition also in the beginning of the book uh of course, caveat, this is just the first book. Maybe the story will develop over time. Um, and what I like about it is that it takes place in in the universe, in the world that was built through the Hunger Games novels, which is, I think, a very interesting concept, an interesting world. And uh, I always like prequels because it makes me um, look differently to the existing story, just like the Star Wars prequels did that with... Uh, a New Hope, and uh, Empire, and, and Return of the Jedi. Once you know what the backstory of the Emperor is, um, you know, it, it sets everything in a different light. And and that is, I think, that's that's a cool aspect of prequels, and I can't wait to see um, where Suzanne Collins will take this in, in these Hunger Games prequels. The book itself is called... The Ballad of Songbirds and Snake. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snake. Um, I'm listening to the audiobook. I'm not reading the book itself. So I still have about 16 hours to go. <laughs> I guess I have to do a lot of walking in order to finish this book. But uh, in a couple of days I should be able to uh, to finish it. And then I'll get back to it and give you a final review. But now it is time for maybe the most interesting Segment of this particular episode of my show. And that is our science fiction segment. We need to talk about two of my favorite science fiction franchises Star Trek and Star Wars. And oh my gosh, I'm so excited about something that will be and something that could have been. I'll explain in a second. But uh, oh boy. <laughs> I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? For the shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need you! All right. Uh, Merla wants to know, where can I buy that book? Um, I found it on on the subscription, audiobook subscri- subscription that I have, but I think it is uh on sale uh, at the Amazon Kindle store, maybe also on other services that sell digital books. It may also be in your bookstore, although with the Corona situation, maybe some there there, there might be some delay. Um, just check with your local bookstore or, or or look online. Again, it's called the Ballad of Songbirds and Snake. Now let's talk Star Trek. Of course, I'm a little bit behind because last week I didn't record a show. But as you now all know, there is going to be yet another Star Trek show. I could have never guessed that there would be a time that there would be like three concurrent Star Trek shows, and maybe even more coming, as well as Star Wars television series. I mean, isn't it it great to be alive right now? So, um, something that fans have been clamoring for ever since they saw him appear in Star Trek Discovery is a new series based on the character of Captain Pike for the trekkies among you you know that pike is the predecessor on the bridge of the enterprise to captain kirk before captain kirk i think captain pike had been the captain of the enterprise working with spock and with number 1 for 7 years or something like that so in theory they could do a series a 7 year 7 season run series uh the original series uh was was going originally going to have Captain Pike instead of Captain Kirk. They filmed a pilot episode. There is a very fascinating backstory of that in the memoirs of uh, Leonard Nimoy, who plays Spock. Um, so the original series would have Spock alongside Captain Kirk, and the, f- the first pilot uh, had them visiting a planet with uh, these aliens with huge gray heads, that are able to conjure up mental images and make them seem real to the visitors. And uh, it was a very complicated science fiction, very, you know, hardcore science fiction story. Um, And uh, a very complicated one. A a number of the elements of that pilot episode were uh, later on integrated in... I think one of the first, not the first, but the one of the first episodes of the first season of the original series. But anyway, the the problem of that first pilot episode was that it was a little bit too highbrow for the people in charge. They were like, we don't understand the story. We need something else. We need a different dude. Pike is boring. You know, give us someone else. And then they ultimately ended up uh, contacting uh, William Shatner. Actually, I read that in Shatner's memoirs, not in Nimoy's in uh, uh, memoirs. So... Uh, they approach Shatner, who I think was involved in a totally different type of TV show at the times. He was not interested in science fiction at all. I think he's never been interested in science fiction or in Star Trek. But anyway, he was interested in making some money. So that's how he ended up on the bridge, replacing the more, um, you know, morally upright uh, Captain Pike and became this womanizer, you know, is much more of an action hero than Pike was. And so um, that is, well, the rest is history. So so Kirk took the place of Pike, and then they came up with a backstory where Pike died, and if you've seen the J.J. Abrams reboot, you know that Pike also appears in in that particular storyline and also dies at one point, I think, in the second movie. But what was so cool of Discovery was, of course, that, uh, Star Trek Discovery, the new series, took place in the time frame, more or less, of the original series. And so, at one point, they encounter the Enterprise. And it's, it happens, I think, it was it at the last episode of the first or the second season? I don't remember. But anyway, the encounter shows us that the bridge of the Enterprise is manned by three people that we know from those early pilots. And it is Captain Pike, number one, and uh, and Spock, and it's yet another actor playing Spock. The cool thing, I think there's just three episodes where Pike and the crew of the Enterprise is featured. But the the actor who plays Pike made a huge impact on everyone watching Star Trek Discovery. Anson Mount is his name. Um, Ethan Peck played Spock and Rebecca Romijn played number one. And... It was instant classic Star Trek material. I remember jumping up when I saw those scenes. They redid the bridge of the Enterprise. They kept some of the design elements of the original series, but they upgraded it and made it look very cool, very, very cool. But they they had the, the, the original uh, costumes, and there was something about the demeanor of Captain Pike that rem- reminded me very much of classic storytelling of those early days of star trek this is a captain that encapsulates in his behavior what we're all longing for and that is moral leadership this was finally a captain that wasn't a traitor it wasn't a woo- uh, a wolf in sheep's clothes uh, this was a guy who wanted to do the right thing, like a true leader that you could look up to um, someone with a sense of humor but also with a backbone and I was not surprised that that fans embraced it because these times where we we, we live in such a weird world where world leaders sometimes behave like children, where you you know there 's this mistrust of our you know, the, over the government, there is so much skepticism and cynicism in our world. I was not surprised that when when Star Trek came came brought us back brought back this character of Captain Pike. We all were like, "Oh, please let us live in a world where Captain Pike is the boss." I would totally serve on the Enterprise under a captain like that, and with a crew that has such chemistry, like Rebecca Romine and 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 Ethan Pack. We want to have we. It is nostalgia. And it's also, I think, a true genuine desire for moral leadership. And that is what he exuded in some, I don't know why, but it just worked. And so CBS, early on when when fans started to rave about Pike, they said, we are listening, don't worry, we are listening. And I think that very, very quickly they discovered that they were onto something. And so just recently they announced that the uh, that. This, these three people will feature as the main characters of a new show that is going to be much more um, like classic Star Trek in the sense that it won't be this overarching story. There may be some, some episodes that form like a mythology, but uh, it's, it's going to be more episodic, and it's called Strange New Worlds. What an amazing title for a Star Trek series. It's going to be focused much more on, exp- on exploration, on what made Star Trek so cool to begin with. It's like every episode, there is another encounter with strange new worlds where you have to figure out what's going on and how you can help and and, uh, how you relate to all these new life forms and exciting places that you discover. So to me, that sounded like music to my ears. This sounds so like the right thing to do. And I've got great confidence in the... You, you could just feel the chemistry is right. And if there's one thing that is important to a crew-based television series like Star Trek is, it is this internal chemistry of the actors with each other and this interplay between the the characters. So I couldn't be more excited. And it may very well be that this series is going to be more popular than Discovery. I'm not sure about Picard because that also, of course, has its... Uh, its slew of fans. By the way, I was very saddened to hear that because of the Corona situation, the uh, the, the, the production of Picard 2, the second season, is going to be delayed. Hopefully not for too long, but it does, it does create a delay. Fortunately, with The Mandalorian second season, that is not going to be the case because they wrapped filming that right before the Corona situation. So it may impact season three. Who knows? But I think for Star Wars, we're cool. And, of course, we get probably also more animated series. Um, They were also filming the uh, Rogue One prequel. I'm not sure where they were at with that. And and then there were multiple other Star Wars series in development and and movies. Um, But I guess we'll we'll hear soon enough um, when we're going to see. I don't think they promised us anything. Um, I, I don't know about the... Premiere date. I think that that filming of Strange New World was also uh, delayed a bit. Yeah, I think they were also they the writers were encouraged to keep writing, keep 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 improving the scripts because they would start filming a little bit later. I don't mind that. I mean, the more time they have to write scripts, the more the the higher chances are that this series is going to rock, so and there, there is quite a bit of speculation online as to whether we, this prequel will also show us other characters. Will we see Kirk? Could they do like a, a cameo of Kirk? Technically, probably not on the Bridge of the Enterprise because. Uh, we know when Kirk and Pike meet meet for the first time, and that is beyond. That's after the events in this series, but it doesn't mean that Kirk is not around. He's is, he is somewhere, so maybe they can kind of squeeze him in. Uh, there are other characters and elements from the original Star Trek series that they could uh, bring back, and actually, I think they will, <laughs> because why wouldn't they? That is one of the cool things of the Mandalorian, it's all these cameos, it's all these, uh, the familiar robots, droids, characters that they, that they show us, and that they tease, like Boba Fett, um, and Ahsoka, uh, that, that is going to, to, to excite the fan base, so, I'm thinking that they will take a page or two, out of the success of the Mandalorian. Speaking of Star Wars, did you notice, this, uh, very cool article maybe you missed it about this original the the, t- the f- very first TV series that was uh that George Lucas was working on back in the days when he was still in charge of Lucasfilm uh, he was planning uh, a very high tech uh TV show using the latest green screen techniques and motion capture and whatnot um and he would would be a serialized Star Wars story. So in a way, what's happening now at Disney Plus is what George Lucas first conceived many years ago. He wanted to create a, a, a television series based on the underworld of Coruscant, um, and it would be called Star Wars Underworld. And it would be about all the bad guys. It would tell the stories of all the, you know, Jabba the Hutt, the mafia. A lot of this stuff has been developed in in the expanded universe, in the books, and also in some of the animated series. Of course, you, you have Darth Maul, you know, heading this uh, crime syndicate. Uh, we've seen uh, him appear in live action in at the end of Solo. Um, so they did take a number of those ideas, but the actual television series got canceled. They never it never made it to into production. They did there uh, a couple of months ago. There was a some leaked footage um, of tests that they did to basically the green screen tests on uh, how they were going to film this. And this was classic uh, back in the days. George Lucas was all about virtual sets, and. Uh, as we all know, prequels were filmed mostly against green screen, which made it very hard for the actors to to act convincingly. Because if you can't see it, it, requires so much more energy than if you are in a real environment. They kind of backtracked on that later on with the production of the prequels of the sequels. Um, they did create real sets again, and I think the, the it it definitely helped. I don't think they will ever go back to fully you know green screen based sets. And it's not even necessary anymore because The Mandalorian introduced another way of filming um, at for a relatively low cost, and that is this circular stage with huge LED screens on which they can project anything. Um, if you've seen the documentary, but the making of The Mandalorian, it shows you how it is done, and it is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, the combination of, of that 360-degree set in combination with some of the stuff that they filmed outside, it it creates a huge tapestry that I don't think you would be able to do with green screen. But anyway, George Lucas thought, what is the cheapest way to create very exciting-looking television in the Star Wars universe? Let's just use what we've learned during the filming of the prequels and make TV with that. Now, according to what we already knew, the preparation for that television series was Uh, already very, very far ahead. They had written many, many scripts for multiple seasons. What we didn't know was who was writing these scripts alongside George Lucas. Well, it turns out that one of the things that I've always said should happen actually happened and almost happened, and that was involve Ronald D. Moore in Star Wars. Let him write scripts for Star Wars. He's one of the best science fiction storytellers that I know. I have huge admiration for Ronald D. Moore. What he did with Battlestar Galactica, I don't think we'll ever see something as good as that. The writing was fantastic. Ronald D. Moore is... um I don't know of any writer-director who is this good in especially telling character-based material. Well, it turns out that that George Lucas invited him and a bunch of other writers to help him write the scripts for Star Wars Underworld. Now, here's what's written in this uh, article on Empire, Empire EmpireOnline.com. He was talking to Collider, the website Collider, Mm Uh, Moore says, I was one of several. There was a bunch of international writers that they assembled. We would gather up at Skywalker Ranch. This is all new information. Nobody knew that that, that Ronald D. Moore was involved in Star Wars. We would gather up at Skywalker Ranch once every six to eight weeks, something like that, and we would break stories together. And right after, we'd go off and write some drafts and bring them back, and George and we would sit down and critique them and then do another draft and break more stories. It was great. It was a ball. It was a lot of fun. It didn't happen ultimately. We wrote, I'd say, somewhere in the 40-something, 48 scripts, something like that. The theory was that George wanted to write all the scripts and get them all done, and then he was going to go off and figure out how to produce them, because he wanted to do a lot of cutting-edge technological stuff with CG and virtual sets and so on. And so he had a whole thing he wanted to accomplish. And what happened was, you know, we wrote the scripts, and then George said, okay, this is enough for now, and then I'll get back to you. I want to look into all the production things. And then Time went by, and like a year or something after that is when he sold Lucasfilm to Disney. (sighs) So we were on the brink of getting a Star Wars television show penned, co-written by Ronald D. Moore. Now, call me intrigued. What happened to those scripts? Are they salvageable? Can we bring can we please, please, please bring back Ronald D. Moore for, for a television series? I mean, if you can give us The Mandalorian with John Favreau and so many talented writers, if you can do a prequel about for Rogue One with, you know, probably good people involved as well, why not bring back a television series? Why not just do this for Disney Plus? With our modern technology, we could do so much better than the green screen stuff that uh, George Lucas had in mind. A good story is a good story. If Ronald D. Moore was involved in this, then I am convinced that the stories were good, and I am convinced that they are worth turning into a TV show. So Disney Plus, if you're listening, which you're not, make it so. Oh, probably the wrong reference here, but uh, do it, uh, do it. That's it. <laughs> make it so do it give us that TV show bring back Ronald D. Moore give him a movie I don't care I want Ronald D. Moore to write for Star Wars he actually already did he's good pals with George Lucas honor that legacy bring back Ronald D. Moore don't let him waste his time with you know other stuff he's been doing Outlander for for how many years now that's fine that's great that's cool but it's not Star Wars come on Give us Ronald D. Moore. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to stop it there. It is time to talk technology. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. All right. The one more thing that I want to talk about is cameras, live streaming cameras. I tried out two things uh, just this past week. The first one is to stream a procession through the old medieval center of the city of Amersfoort using just my phone and the Osmo Mobile 3. That's a gimbal. A gimbal is a stabilizing device and i was streaming to facebook and it was quite a challenge because it was a of course since pr- processions public processions are not allowed this is a this is a medieval tradition that has been uh honored every single year even during world war 2 they would still walk the streets in procession in honor of our lady of It goes back to an old an old story um, in the Middle Ages where a girl wanted to enter a convent in Amersfoort. Her parents gave her a dowry consisting of just this very simple plaster uh, statuette of the Virgin Mary. She was ashamed of being of poor, uh, of poor descent. She threw the statuette in the, in the canal surrounding the city. The canal is still there. And then a couple of weeks or months later, this other poor girl who lived in Amersfoort gets this dream that she has to go to the water and look for something she goes to the place that she saw in her dreams, and she finds that statuette of the Virgin Mary. Miracles start to happen around that statue. Prayers were, uh, were, were um, heard and answered. Uh, people were cured. And before you know it, Amersfoort is an international place of pilgrimage. And from all over Europe, people flock to the city. That's how we get that huge church and the big tower that is still in the middle of the of the city. Well, to honor the Virgin Mary, um, there was this yearly procession, and after the Protestant reform, that procession had to go underground, just like in Amsterdam. So uh, they couldn't do a genuine liturgical procession, but they could not prevent, the government could not prevent Catholics to just walk the streets. So that's what they did very early in the morning. They would just walk the procession in silence without any external signs. And that would be it. And that that tr- tradition is still here. Because of COVID, it almost didn't happen this year, which would have been a break in tradition. Uh, well, for, for many, many years, maybe centuries. And I was like, that is not going to happen. And I so I approached the person who was uh, organizing the procession I said, "Well, what if we do it virtually or digitally? what if i what if you, the deacon and uh, a priest from the old Catholic Church because this is a ecumenical tradition in our town, why don't you walk the procession and I will stream it and so that 's what I did. I filmed the entire thing using the Osmo Mobile three and my uh, asus Zenfone six and and that actually was a great success. It was a lot of fun to do many pe- many more people walked with us than would have walked in reality, because this is happening early in the morning, like 7.30 a.m. And also hundreds and hundreds of people watched the footage afterwards and are now uh, aware of this pilgrimage or of this procession. So who knows, maybe next year we will have hundreds of participants. Um, So that was my first. I was very impressed by the Osmo Mobile 3. I used to have a Chinese gimbal thinking, well, why would I get a?" Expensive DJI, if I can get a Chinese knockoff, well, it's all about the software. So much better for the Osmo. Um, By the way, that's also a Chinese brand, I think. Anyway, so this was a very, very, uh, actually very affordable device, and the results were out of this world. The only downside is if you stream through Facebook, if you use mobile the mobile app of Facebook, it streams in very low quality, 480p. So it's very grainy, very blurry. Um, and I haven't been able to figure out how to improve that. I know that to Facebook you can you can stream in HD using just a regular laptop. That's how I'm streaming most of the masses here. Um, but on mobile, at very low resolution. The uh, alternative would be, of course, to use YouTube for streaming. And... That has another downside. You are not allowed to stream from mobile devices unless you have more than a 1,000 subscribers. Now, for my YouTube account, not a problem in the world because I have 27,000 followers. Um, But for my little new parish channel that I created, Erka Eimland, that is a huge problem because after 10 weeks we only have 35 subscribers because most parishioners are not into social media. So I'll probably never get to 1,000 subscribers for that channel. Um, I'm just trying to... I'm wrecking my brain. How can I get 1,000 subscribers? Because I do think that YouTube is the way to go, even for our regular masses. I've, I've gotten back to YouTube for my mass for geeks, and it's much more effective than Facebook. Facebook is great. It's very easy to use, but not everyone is on Facebook and once you've streamed live, the video disappears into nothingness. Uh, it's just not a video platform. And YouTube is. And so it's much easier to get a long tail uh, on YouTube, which means that people will discover your content sometimes months or years after you've recorded it. Um, so it will continue to, to have a certain, uh, a certain impact. Um, it's much, much better than Facebook. But... How do you get past that 1,000 subscriber threshold? I, I've looked into maybe they have exceptions for nonprofits, but none of that. There isn't, there's a YouTube for nonprofits, but it's not very useful. So if anyone has ideas, if you work for Google and YouTube and you want to help out, contact me. I'd love to hear from you. And the second thing that I tried out are these um, PTZ cameras, um, basically remote cameras, um, awesome experience. I will use t- hopefully two of them during my na- next Mass for Geeks, and I will go into the details of that experience in the next episode of this show. And with that, it is time to wrap things up. It is more than time. I'm talking for one hour, 13 minutes, and 16 seconds. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for the privilege of your time. Thanks for being a supporter if you uh, support me on Patreon. And if you don't, check it out on patreon.com slash Roderick and get access to my other show and in Father Roderick to Max that's the name of that show we'll talk about my top 5 of comfort food i'll talk a little bit about what happened 100 years ago the birth of someone who had a massive impact on my own life i'll give you a review of the 2014 comic series about miss marvel i'll talk a little bit about a very cool spin-off game it's actually not a game but it's based on a game assassin's creed in visitor mode We'll talk about kneelers in Catholic liturgy and I'll give you my thoughts on the rumored Apple Glass AR. So if you are interested in that type of stuff and you've got, uh, what is it? A a couple of bucks a month to spare to help me out. Check it out, patreon.com slash Father Roderick and you will have instant access to that weekly show as well. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. God bless.